Hello, welcome to Soul Led, a podcast dedicated to the evolution of your soul and the development of your spiritual gifts. I am Nikki Novo, your spiritual mentor, a fiery Latina, mom of three, and a lover of all things intuitive. You're here because you're meant to be here. So let's do this. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Soul Led. I'm just overjoyed to be here. Erin, you're like our big, like our first big interview for Soul Led. So, I mean, it's a kind of a big deal. We're so excited to have you here. We have Aaron Abke today, which <laughs> I have introduced many of you to him and maybe he'll be new to some of you, but it's kind, you're kind of a big deal, Aaron. So- <laughs> well, I'm honored and, and very delighted to be here with you, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. So we did a rebrand because the podcast was originally a spiritual dating podcast. So we just rebranded to Soul mm-hmm. So we're like on our first few episodes. So like you are like our first star. So welcome. I'm Aaron. helping you transition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Aaron, so you guys, Aaron is, I actually found Aaron's work through Krista and Lindsay from Almost 30. And I was like, just blown away. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, first <laughs> by what Aaron was talking about, and really just the quality of like content that you make about all the topics that you talk about, like really just brought me in. And then of course, I just like was so interested in this human itself, yourself. So it's just like such an honor to have you here. I have learned so much from your content. I know that it takes a lot of work to put out what you're doing. So I'm just so grateful for what you're putting out. So thank you and welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So I was first interested in your work of the law of one, some of our listeners are going to be familiar. Some of them are not. So I'll ask you a little bit about that. And then as a recovering Catholic, I was super interested in your mystical Jesus. It like made me feel very heard. <laughs> so, nice. And we have a lot of mystical Jesus questions. So we'll definitely go into that. So I'm going to start off by reading your bio. I don't usually like read the full bio, but I found it interesting. So if you could just like awkwardly sit there. as I <laughs> Oh, I'm very used to this. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron Abke was born and raised as a pastor's son in Silicon Valley of California. He desired to work in church ministry like his father and went to college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you went, you went like to the Bible belt, basically. Sure right? Graduating with a bachelor's in music and theology. He spent one year working as a full-time worship pastor at a church in San Jose until eventually at 23, he felt called to leave his religion and pursue a deeper and more authentic spirituality. So we'll definitely want to hear about that. At 27, had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of his life. He was working as a signed fitness model in San Francisco and competing at the national level in men's bodybuilding at the time and completely walked out of his former life to dedicate his life to seeking how to return to that state of realization, self-realization, excuse me, permanently. So you're passionate about unity, consciousness, and spiritual awakening with the world. And he does so today on YouTube, which you guys have to check out, social media, masterclasses, workshops, primarily teaching through texts such as The Course in Miracle and The Law of One. But you overall have like, a, I think you have a really great understanding too of the ego. So that's some of my favorite work as well. So welcome, Aaron. That's Aaron's bio, you guys super interested. So I just want to jump right in. So tell me, what was it like to be a full-time worship pastor? (laughs) No one's ever asked me that. Tell me. So we're off to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really loved it, to be honest with you. I I grew up doing music and worship in church with my, my family. And it was always my favorite part of my faith was worshiping God and, and the music. And that's how I would really connect with the divine. So I dreamed of being able to have my own church worship team to run myself. I went to school for it and all of that. So I was like living my dream and I just wanted to worship God. That's all I cared about. And it wasn't until the dogma started really hitting me in the face at the church I was working at, which was a very legalistic church that I just was running up against so many crises of faith. Maybe you could say that uh, started to create a lot of internal conflict. And then there were other things like the church I was um, used to wor- leading worship at my, my parents' church. Everybody's got their hands up. They're singing full voices. People would run around the sanctuary sometimes, you know, tambourines. Like we're having a good time. We're worshiping, baby. And this church was like the most stoic, solemn faces just staring back at you. Nobody engaged. You know, sometimes people would sing. And I was just feeling like I was leading worship for a bunch of corpses or something. And I saw that the theology that was being taught there really reflected 
the disposition I was seeing from the audience, which was like, we're dead inside. We have no life. We have no hope, no happiness, nothing to really hang our hats on, but we're just sort of here because it's what we think is the right thing to do. And I was like, okay, do I want to be involved in this? Do I want to pursue God this way? And it was like, absolutely not. And then it was like, do I believe any of the things that these people believe about God? I'd never really wrestled with those questions. Like, does God really send people to hell? Did he really write the Bible? Is the rapture really happening or not? And through that first year working at that church, I, I deeply was wrestling with all of these questions because I was so out of alignment with the energy there that I thought, well, I must, there must be some other answers for me that can provide more satisfaction than the ones that I'm hearing through this lens. And it's what I was used to, but it all of a sudden felt so alien to me. And so I just sort of quit my job, said, I can't do this anymore. It's, it feels like I'm betraying myself being here. And so I moved back to Oklahoma where I went to college and just spent a couple of years like deeply seeking for some real spiritual understanding. So you, was it that like your father or your father's church didn't really focus so much on those parts of Christianity? Because I feel like most people that go through Christianity, like they, that is the big message, but you just didn't get that message? Never. We, we were doing signs and wonders. We were doing healing services, revival services. We were having a blast. We never talked about God being angry. It was always God is love. God is good. And we, you know, we knew that people who don't confess Christ, you know, they have to go to a bad place, but we don't want them to. So it was, we were too much focused on the right stuff for me to really care about thinking and wrestling with those questions. Mm, well, that's a great, that's a unique experience because I think yeah. that probably your other experience is probably the more common experience. Um, yep. So I, um, in our work, we teach intuition. We do, um, you know, we're connecting and we're really trying to, you know, we're reading energy, all this kind of stuff. But I was raised Catholic. I'm Hispanic. We have a large Latina community. So we, most of us are Catholic or Christian to a degree. Mm -hmm. And I would say there's so much like Christian trauma when I bring them into this, you know, expansion of their, I see it as an expansion of our beliefs. Like I just see it as getting to know right. God and Jesus on a, on, in a more kind of practice kind of communal way, but there's a lot of fear of like stepping out of that religion, even though that they've been called to it. So yeah. do you remember any of that fear that you were having? Like, were you scared oh, that you would leave completely? Like, what were you thinking? It was, uh, it was very terrifying. It's the reason I didn't leave sooner than I did, because if you know what it's like to sort of leave a cult or something, mm -hmm. uh, a religion is a, a much larger, more well-organized cult in a way. And so your entire framework for life, everyone, you know, family, friends, everyone believes this stuff. So you're, you're not just like, well, I just don't believe these ideas anymore, but the rest of my life is going to go on the same. Like, you know, it's, I'm blowing up my entire life. I'm starting over from scratch, becoming a new person, rediscovering myself, making new friends, potentially saying goodbye to family members. And as I feared, pretty much everything was true. I had to say goodbye to most of my family relationships. Uh, to this day, most of them don't talk to me. And I, I was so hurt by that initially that because I love my family, I've always had great relationships with aunts, uncles, and cousins. So I didn't want to risk losing them. But at some point, the internal conflict was so great. I said, I, I just, there's no option left, right? And now I'm at a place where I, I completely understand that from their frame of reference, they have to do what they're doing. It, it's not personal. It never was. It's a conflict, their own self-identity that is just a little too difficult to grapple with by still having me in their life or whatever. So all my friends and family who sort of excommunicated me, it, it hurt so bad at first. And after a few years time, it's like, I just feel nothing but love for them. And I don't have any desire or need to be in their life. I can just totally love them where they're at. And that's exactly the freedom I was always looking for through Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, really it's like, a it's your foundation is going to be broken and you have to rebuild. So it's just, it is a very scary thing. I have a lot of people kind of mm. meet me, go into the work. Um, and you're probably like that too. Like people are just like, Oh, she's normal, you know? And she talks about these things, but she's like, she has three kids and she lives in Miami and she's normal. Mm. So they feel comfortable, but they're afraid of like what's on the other side, you know, to kind of step out of that dogma and into, into this work. But I really see it as an expansion. Like, I don't think that it's 
something it's like, we're not, and you are such a good example of that. Cause you talk about how much you love Jesus and you mm-hmm. have done such great work of going deeper into who he really is. So it's really, you know, there's, if anything, you probably have a better understanding that you, than you ever had before. So it's like, you're probably closer to Jesus than, than you were to begin with. So yeah. Bold, underline, italicized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So what would you say for anybody who's like maybe in that place right now? Like, do you, you know, that they're maybe curious about kind of stepping because even just the idea of Jesus being mystical is scary for people. So I don't know if you see that in your community or what you feel like would be helpful for somebody who is maybe like starting to become curious, but afraid that they're going to get like struck by lightning mm-hmm. by the God up in the big chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I was pretty lucky in the, in the church I grew up in with my family that religion was sort of a dirty word we would use. Oh. Like, don't be, don't be religious. You know, we're free. We're free here. We're free in God. Mm. And so I, I very much saw how Christ was always pointing the finger at the Pharisees, accusing them of being hypocrites and things like that. And so those were the sermons my dad loved to preach. And for that reason, we were always on the lookout for the, as we called it, the religious spirit within mm. us being judgmental, dogmatic, emphasizing the letter of the law over the spirit of the law was kind of the definition of the religious ego, so to speak. And so we were very much like, we didn't want that. So I loved, I always loved the idea that Jesus was outside of the religious bubble and was sort of a radical and and progressive and, and really challenging the ideas of the day and pushing the needle forward. So I, I always embraced the idea of Jesus being like a mystic and stuff. I didn't really know what that meant until I left Christianity altogether. But for those people who maybe grew up in a very dogmatic context, I would just say, this is the only truth you need to be your, your guiding light through this journey. And this is a truth that opens up the first line of A Course in Miracles. Nothing real, or we could say nothing true, can be threatened. Mm-hmm. And everyone, every religion all around the world says, yep, that's true. I agree said they just think that their truth is the one truth, right? But just truth in general can't be threatened. And what is unreal, what isn't true, doesn't exist. And herein lies the peace of God. So what Christians and religious people of all faiths will say to those who are questioning is, you got to be very careful. Don't go out and listen to other ideas. Don't explore other teachings and religions because it'll lead you astray into the darkness sort of like this, you're, you're just this totally moronic, gullible sponge that will absorb everything that you receive with no filter, no critical thinking. You'll just be lost in the maelstrom immediately. And I was sort of like, hey, give me some credit, man. Like my heart is pure. I want God. I want truth. And if it's not truth, I don't want it. Right. So I'm not afraid of being led astray. I know that truth is in my heart because I know God's in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's actually this God that's in my heart, that's calling me out of this faith. There's no other reason it would be there. Cause if this was true, if this was the highest truth, surely I would not have all this internal conflict. Mm-hmm. So it's like, stay with that voice within you and know that truth can't be threatened. So you really have nothing to fear by exploring and searching for it. Mm, that's beautiful. And the idea that like, this is the thing that's actually calling you out. It's still the same, you know, God that is being spoken about. So it's actually the thing that's that's calling you, that's just calling you deeper. So right, that's beautiful. Thank you. If you don't mind going into a little bit of the law of one. So that was, I did not know about the law of one until you were interviewed by Krista. So that like blew me away, but it didn't blow me away because it was just kind of words and a text that I kind of just always knew it was just written in a whole body, right? Like I was like, oh, this is a whole body of work about this concept I've always kind of understood. And I always knew it really spoke to me so much. And the fact that it was like, you know, this kind of entity or alien, I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is up my alley. So I was really into it, but I actually learned about it through your videos first. And then I picked up the text. So your videos, your videos were so helpful. Like that series was just perfection. So can you, for those of us that don't know what the law of one is, can you have like a brief statement of like what it is? Sure. Yeah. The overarching summary would be that it's a channeled text from the 1980s where a group of three people in dedicated channeling sessions were able to make contact with an extraterrestrial being, which identifies itself as Ra. And Ra is actually a planetary civilization of the planet Venus. So you could also 
see Ra as Venus. You could almost replace the name Ra for Venus. And that's actually who they're communicating with. And this entity basically in a question answer format helps them understand the nature of the universe, spiritual evolution and reincarnation, especially it's kind of like the, one of the more heavy central topics of the text and just other ideas about how the, how creation works, how creation is formed, polarity, pretty much anything in metaphysics you're interested in is taught in the law of one in such a radically new way, very scientific way and approach that sort of gives real solid meaning and understanding to things that are typically seen as woo-woo. The law of one has an amazing way of showing you that these are actual sciences and archetypes that are in the structure of reality and they have real purpose for being there. And here's how you understand and utilize them. So it really is a text that puts you in the driver's seat with your own spiritual growth. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's a great description. Thank you. For me, it was like, oh, these woo-woo things that I always knew, but didn't have it written somewhere. So it was like very validating. Yeah. How did you find it? How did you get to it? I don't actually remember like where I found it. it. It was just on my radar. Every so often I would hear of it or see a quote or this or that. And uh, it always sparked my interest, the name, the law of one. And one day I just felt really called to, to read it. I just said, I, I need to go check this thing out. It keeps reappearing and I'm interested. And when I read it, I just was so blown away that it's not everywhere in the spiritual community. I just said, this is the most profound material I've ever come across, uh, which is what inspired me to start making videos about it. So, but you, like, I'm guessing like by watching the videos and the way you dissect the information is that's maybe from maybe doing Bible study before, because like, you're just so good at going like deep into, right? Like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm um, ADD, but I'm like, okay, I get the concept and I move on, but you do such a good job of going like really deep. And I've watched some of even like, you're still question, you still have questions about it. Like you were interviewing um, Jim McCarty, I think recently or some time ago. And it's like, seems like you still just, you even still have questions about, about it. So you like, what's your process? Like, are you between that and the course of miracles? Like, do you keep going back into it? Mm-hmm. How do you study it? So I've listened to it in audiobook format. I'm on my seventh time through it now. Wow. Because yeah, because every time I go through it, it feels like a brand new text. Mm-hmm. It gets so much deeper and I, I have so many more questions. As more dots get connected, it's it's just like the universe itself. It's very fractal. And then it just keeps going in on itself. And every question leads to more understanding that births more questions. And it's, it's just this endlessly exciting adventure for me to dive into this text, very much like ACIM as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't have any, I never led Bible studies. The yeah. thing I hated yeah. about worship leading the most was having to talk between songs oh. and like open the service. Good morning, everyone. I was like, I don't want to talk. I just want to sing. <laughs> so I had no indication I was going to be good at explaining stuff or speaking on these topics. I just was so incredibly passionate about it that I felt like I have to, I have to make videos about this or I'm going to die or something. I'm so passionate about this. And to my surprise, I guess, just as part of my makeup, I somehow had an ability to delineate this kind of stuff. So that was a a surprise for me, but an exciting one. But you don't get distracted by like, let's say like pop spirituality, because there's a bunch of new books and like new ideas, but it seems like you, you have a good way of just going back to the same text that works, you know? Like do, yes. you, do you see yourself getting distracted by other pop ideas, like pop spirituality, or you kind mm-hmm. of stay, you get what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the same term I use for it. Yeah. Um, and no, it's very much the opposite. I, I just can't get interested in it. It's for certain people at a certain place in their journey. If it resonates with anyone, that's, it's the perfect book for them. It's great. It just, for me, it's those, those types of topics are, sort of just rudimentary and redundant because I've, you know, I worked through all of those things so early on in my journey and then just got so interested in really, really deep, rich things like these old channeled texts that have been around for so many decades that I feel like, man, like nobody's really plumbed the depths of these texts like they deserve. So, you know, everyone's just where they are and whatever resonates with you is what's meant for you. And so for whatever reason for me, I'm just, I just can't find any interest in those things and that's fine. No. And, and also like, you know, that book comes, you know, whatever those books are, they come to you at the right time, but you've done such a good job. So one of my favorite pastimes is to go on YouTube channels that I enjoy 
and sort by the first video ever made. So I did that to you. Yeah. Which it could be scary. I think that, I don't know how long you've been on YouTube, but it was pretty recent. So you probably, I don't know if you clean out yeah. your, your videos, but I did see like your first video that you posted was about manifesting. Mm -hmm. And we were like in this, like some sort of like conference room with like, yep. am I embarrassing you? No, not at all. <laughs> so, um, but the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. I think it was like 2018 or 27. I forget. But anyways, your voice is different, and the way you use your words are different. Yeah. Um, than the way you're using it right now. Your videos are like you can tell that you're not wasting a word. Where before, you probably were just like starting. I was wondering yeah. if that came from your pastor times or. Or like maybe watching your dad, maybe your dad was like a good speaker. Or do you think that that's just like the more you were doing it, the, you know, the, the better you got at like speaking it. Yeah. Also a really cool question. No one's ever asked. <laughs> I like new questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've watched a lot of your content and I don't want to be bored either if I talk to you. So. Yeah. I go back and watch videos every so often and we'll go, wow, like the evolution that's happened is so cool. Um, so no, I was always very much terrified of the idea of giving a sermon. Uh -huh. Like, man, what would I do up there? Like, how would I talk for that long? And my dad was so good at it. I just felt like, yeah, you know, worship's my thing. I'll never be a speaker. But, but once, once I've come to different modalities like astrology, human design, cardology, especially, and sort of looked at my energetic makeup, like everything in my card says speaker, speaker, communicator, you know, bringer of wisdom and all this stuff. So to my surprise, that was actually in my cards, literally. And so, yeah, I've just gotten better at it by doing it, by just the sheer volume of podcasts, interviews, uh, daily calls that I do now with my different programs. Just like anything else, you know, you're going to get really good at it the more repetitions you get. I find too that like the, the throat chakra and the voice cleans up through your own power, like through the way that you're kind of like releasing ego and letting go because you need less words almost in a way yeah. you learn to not be like wasteful with the words. Yeah. It just seems like you're not wasteful with your, with your words. Um, and I was just wondering, there's a lot of people that we train that want to be teachers and things like yeah. that. So I thought I was just wondering if you were doing that on purpose or if it was just like a evolution. I think you just learned to really slow down yeah. and let it come to you rather than being in a rush to find the words. Now, that's typically when you're over speaking or saying, um, or things like that a lot to fill the space because your mind's trying to do it. And it's just something you have to learn with practice that the real truth is inside you. So you have to sort of get out of its way, mm -hmm. which means be still listen and just slow it down. Let it come naturally. I love that. Thank you. That was helpful. Yeah. So we have a few people in our community that enjoy your work with the law of one. So they asked a question, which I didn't think to ask, but I thought it was interesting. Nice. They wonder if you feel that you yourself are channeling raw, like they feel like, cause so in our community, we teach how to connect, how to read energy, you know, spirit guides, Akashic records, things like that. So they're all very attuned to feeling like the energy that exists around people. So they feel that raw, like exists with you almost and around you. And they're wondering if you, if you feel that. Yeah. Fun question. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm channeling raw. Right. I can't say that. Maybe I am, but I don't know if I am. But I, f I do wonder sometimes, one, one person in a comment once said, um, did you know your name spelled backwards is no raw? No, stop it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> um, you know, in the law of one, raw talks about, we'll get maybe get into this, but the idea of a wanderer is somebody who's from a higher density, who comes back to this third density to sort of bring a higher vibration and help the planet out. And typically we call that a star seed. They call it wanderer. And they say that a sixth density wanderer, which raw is a sixth density is one who's looking to find a balance between love and wisdom. And, uh, typically they'll do that through a number of different medium. Rob will say that they'll typically feel this way. They won't really have an affinity for the normal family childbearing life or whatever. Not always, but a lot of the time. And so I just find myself resonating with a lot of those specifics that raw gives, I think, which doesn't mean I am sixth density or whatever. Ultimately, I don't care what density my soul is or where I came from, if I am from raw, but uh, you know, sometimes the universe will give you little winks and 
higher self will want to show you messages. And I was just listening to the law of one this morning where Ra was saying this, actually, that they ask Ra, how does the, the confederation, which is the organization of positively polarized beings, how do they reach out to people and let them know like, hey, uh, you're a soul on a mission here, time to wake up, fulfill your purpose. How does the confederation communicate that to people without sort of infringing on their free will? And Ra says, typically through very subtle messaging, a lot of times in dreams, a lot of times synchronicities will show up, um, which are just there to spark you and get you to think like, hmm, maybe I'm here for a greater purpose or my soul is remembering that there's a reason I'm here right now and that will awaken your soul's calling. So yeah, I've had some dreams and synchronicities like that, but ultimately it doesn't really matter to me because you know, at the end of the day, ego wants to claim those things. I'm this, I'm that, I'm sixth, I'm fifth density. And I just don't have any interest in labels anymore. <laughs> well, that's part of like the ego being, being released. But yeah, I mean, they just feel right. that you know, channeling would be what is, channeling truly is what's in the book. Like that idea of, yeah. I forget the woman's name that she's laying down. Like that's, that's pure channeling. Channeling is like, I have left so that something else can come through me. It's not even her voice. Right. So that's true channeling. But connecting, they feel like you guys are, like, are, you know, probably the way that you might like connect to Jesus, let's say, like they feel like you're in conversation with Ross. So they just wanted to, they were just wondering if yeah, you yeah. Thought anything about that. <laughs> well, people do have a hard time breaking down the law of one concepts and the teachings and the language because it is very dense and, and intellectually mm -hmm. heavy. And so sometimes I do wonder like, how is it that I, it's, it seems so natural for me to understand these things? I don't do anything to understand it. The understanding just happens. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it can feel a bit like you're channeling the information. Yeah. Or you've been there before, like you've known this work before. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. So, you know, and I think that the law of one is not going to be for everybody because some people are going to read and be like, yes, this resonates. I understand this. And I think that that's part of, you know, maybe the makeup of our, of our soul, like right. where, where the soul comes from. So other question about the law of one. In your, in, you might not remember this, but you, in your interview with Jim McCarty, he talks about dual activated bodies having psychic gifts. I don't remember when he said that. And so we, I teach intuition, you know, we, I teach like how to open those psychic abilities. I've taught, you know, hundreds of people. We have these like three, kind of like a Reiki. We have like three levels to teach people to open up these gifts. Um, I wasn't born psychic, but I through my own awakening and through my own training, I, I had like a spirit guide that taught me and I learned to open up these gifts. So, but one thing is that I've been trying to treat, teach people and it really is like a, you know, it's kind of like, I want to say like a gimmick, but it's kind of like just so people can start to open up into their spirituality. Some people are like, oh, it sounds cool to learn, you know, these spiritual gifts that I have. But in order to get to the spiritual gifts, you have to go through the heart. So right. I do a lot of like heart work in order for the rest to come. But ultimately these people end up like we've trained hundreds and it's crazy that like we have like this corporate like attorney who can ultimately like read energy and gets this information that she wasn't able to get. So it's really interesting to see people wake up to these spiritual mm -hmm. gifts. So he talks about these dual activated bodies kind of, I guess like what I understood was almost like these bodies that were maybe already moving into fourth dimension or they were fourth dimension and that like uh, you know, these gifts are more available to them. And I've always felt that this intuitive training that I do is really just an evolution of the, of the species. Like, I truly think that ultimately we are going to be able to be telepathic and we're going to, mm -hmm. you know, be able to regularly like read people. So what I'm teaching is really just, we're just like at the beginning of that evolution of the species. Like I train my kids to do it. And, you know, I always laugh. I'm like, careful, my kid can read your energy, you know, <laughs> just saying. Yeah, so I yeah. wonder like, what do you, I don't know. What do you think about those psychic gifts, like what did you understand by what he was saying about these dual activated bodies? If you have any thoughts about that? Sure. Yeah. The dual activated body is a, a bit of a tricky concept, but if we go back to the fact that every chakra is a body itself, the particular density level that a soul is incarnated into, they will have the energy body that matches that density because it's on the same frequency, right? So currently our planet has just clicked into the fourth density vibration. So planet earth is now in the very first stage of the fourth density. And that vibration will continue to pick up over time until it becomes as Ra would say, true color, green, green being the heart chakra, the fourth chakra color. 
So that's the, the green ray body is the body in fourth density, which takes, you know, many, many thousands of years to evolve into from a, a yellow ray, third density body. So right now, like this body you're seeing that you have, and I have is a third density or yellow ray body. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a dual activated body is the fact that now that the planet is fourth density, it means that it's fourth density habitable. Uh, it's, it's conducive to a fourth density vibration, but it's going to take time for the physical matter, so to speak, to catch up because the, the density of a photon represents literally the rate of vibration. Mm-hmm. So the speed of the photon will pick up and the evolution on planet earth will reflect that vibration. So it's not that the body itself will be a green color, but that's the, the true color of the density. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, a fifth density extraterrestrial has a, a light body, mm-hmm. which is Ra says is like a white light. Mm-hmm. And this is very typical in religious scriptures, ancient scriptures, you know, angels of light will be, will come to people. Yep. People see extraterrestrials as these radiant light beings. And then a sixth density body is the indigo ray body of the third eye. And that's also a light body that has more of a golden light hue to it. Mm-hmm. So you could actually, if you could see extraterrestrials in their light body form, you could probably tell what density level they are based on the spectrum of light, the color of the light that they're emitting. So in that same way, a dual activated body from third and fourth density is one where you're in, still in the yellow ray body, which, is, which matches the frequency of earth right now, but you are a fourth density soul or above who wants to bring in more of your native abilities now that earth is available for that. Mm-hmm. And so you can have actually the green ray body activated and the yellow ray body activated that becomes sort of a hybrid between the two, which really just means like you wouldn't know the difference physically, right. but it's the energetic makeup of the body, uh, the subtle body, you could say that's actually giving the capacity for psychic gifts to happen because in the fourth density, we will have abilities that to us now would be godlike. Right. The ability to move matter with your mind, telepathic communication, um, all these things become available in fourth density. Mm-hmm. So a dual activated person has much greater psychic capacity than a typical third density body would just because they have more of that mm-hmm. circuitry available, so to speak. But I think it's available to everyone, which is like kind of the entry point that we take. It's like, you know, you're going to, your ego is going to die through this process because it's the only way I can get them to, you know, not, not the full, but layers of the ego can, can, will go so that we can get to this place. So I'm guessing like, because we're, you know, clicking into fourth dimension, like maybe, you know, maybe a few generations from now, this stuff that, um, that we're able to do through training, like will ultimately maybe be a little bit more natural. Yep. It will become more and more normal and natural for people to share thoughts and ideas. Uh, eventually, full communication will be able to happen. It's, it's not that you're limited because you are the creator itself. Mm-hmm. Um, consciousness already contains all possibilities and abilities that there are in the whole universe, but consciousness has to filter itself into a body, right. which acts as like a radio or something. So it's, it's filtering out like especially a third density body is filtering out the vast majority of capacity that consciousness has. But that's the whole point is that consciousness wants to know itself in a very slow way through that journey of evolution, because there's really no novelty if you don't experience anything, but your full capacity. Like if you're always in sixth density, you can always speak telepathically, travel through thought, move through time and space. Then you wouldn't even know it almost because it's so natural to you. So the source needs this experience of being in these heavy, dense bodies and evolving into these understandings so it can really know itself in a, a truly organic way. It's kind of, Aaron, like when you look at your old journals and you're like, shit, man, I've like really evolved here, you know? And look where like, I came from. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like looking back. So yeah, I love yeah. that. Thank you for that explanation. So those were our law of one questions. If we can move into Jesus really you know, quickly. Um, you talk about being inspired by Jesus, that that's like your, your greatest teacher. I feel the same way too. I don't 
actually like what brought me into this work was after I graduated, I went to Catholic school my whole life. And when I got into mm-hmm. college, I wasn't in a Catholic college. So it was like, actually, it was really interesting how like the minute I got into like my freshman year in college, I was like, where are the religion classes? <laughs> like, Give me all the, <laughs> give me everything, but like Catholicism. So that was um, the beginning of like my process. And I got to read books about Jesus that weren't written by like priests and things like that. And that was like yeah. very awesome for me. So, I mean, and this is probably a big question, but can you tell us a little bit about what you think Jesus's core message was, like what you understand it to be? that maybe was like missed by traditional religions, you know, why you feel that he's been a teacher for you? Yeah. Christ's message to me is, is clear that he came to demonstrate something more than tell about something mm-hmm. as any true master would Jesus wanted to really show people the state that he was in, not so much just talk about it or tell them about it, And so that's why I think Christ shrouded literally almost every teaching he ever gave was in a parable, Mm -hmm. very mysterious, esoteric parables. And he would always finish by saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him listen. Because a master at that level completely understands, I don't have any ability to help people at a certain place understand these ideas. They're not available. They're way too down in the lower vibrations of ego and separation consciousness. So I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince a rock that it's a tree, right? I'm just going to speak to those who are available, like a bee going to the open flowers, and I'm just going to pollinate the open flowers. And so that's why he gave his teachings in this format, which is that anyone who was awakened to the true transcendent nature of who they are would hear these words and go, oh man, I'm so drawn to what he's saying. Maybe they don't fully understand the meaning of the parable, but it, it creates a mystery and a riddle within themselves that has the power of inquiry behind it, of what are these stories pointing to? What is the deeper meaning behind this story that Christ is giving? And that's what truly awakens people to unity consciousness, which is, of course, what Christ was walking in. So the miracles, the signs and wonders, the prophetic demonstrations and the parables to me really show that Christ was um, helping to usher humanity in at that time of first century Israel into a radical new understanding of the divine that really wasn't available anywhere at that time, at least in a way that wouldn't get him crucified instantly, right? If he had just come out and said, hey, I'm God and you're God. Okay, everyone would have stones out and he'd be dead in 30 seconds. So you have to appreciate the position that Christ was in and and really the masterful way he went around all of these issues with the time and place he was living in to deliver this message in a way that did actually land for people and amassed, you know, thousands of people following him everywhere. And a group that actually was so large that the Pharisees and religious leaders were trying to kill him for many years and couldn't do it because of the crowds that protected him, so to speak, until, you know, three or four years into his ministry, finally getting the Romans involved, they were able to get him uh, up, nailed onto the cross. And then even that actually just catalyzed his message even more. So you got to just, my respect and, and appreciation for the person of Christ, yeah, just continues to grow the more I understand him. If he was alive today, he'd have like a really big Instagram following and, sure. and he would be able to live longer, hopefully, you know? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) When you studied Jesus, did you ever get into Mary Magdalene? Yeah, I read all the Gnostics, Gospel of Mary. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the Gospel of Mary. And I always get frustrated when I read it because so much of it is missing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, right when they get to the good parts, it's like, you know, this two (laughs) next two pages are missing. It's like, no, (laughs) but yeah, very much a fan. Any ideas of like what you feel like her messaging was? Well, I don't know because so many of these gospels were written in a way that people, people would write them and then attribute them to saints and characters from the Christ story. So, you know, it's pretty clear to scholars that the gospel of Mary wasn't written by Mary, mm-hmm. but it is a gospel that centers around the figure of Mary and uses her relationship to Christ and her view of Christ as a sort of a new lens as do all the gospels that are written from different points of view, gospel of John, gospel of Peter, gospel of Thomas. 
So yeah, the gospel of Mary is one that's really interesting because there's a lot of questions in history about was Christ, was Jesus actually married to her? And there's actually quite a bit of historical evidence that says that he was. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very I'm interesting to yes. look into. What's I'm gonna, that? I'm going to go with yes. Yes. That's Most right. definitely. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm going to go. With. I actually do think that's the case personally. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. for sure. Did you, uh, you do a great job of breaking down the ego. My, you know, again, because of the work that I teach, I have to like, I see a lot of ego death in my work. I see it as layers. You know, I haven't got, I'm at the beginning of a, of a new place of releasing identities. All these kind of things are happening in my life currently. So I know I'm like at the, I'm again, staring at the edge of like this cliff and like another part of, and I, and it's funny cause I, I almost have like a fear of losing the idea of losing all the ego. Like I have this fear of mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, like leaving in layers, but not necessarily like all together, which is like a really interesting mm-hmm. fear to have. Ego has the fear. <laughs> yes. Thank you. The ego has the, the fear. So I'm at the beginning of that. Um, but I think you do a great job of explaining the ego, that whole process. You're more, I think, aggressive with than I am, or, you know, more, let's maybe not aggressive, let's say courageous. <laughs> and um, I was hoping you can explain a little bit about like what, because the ego has been similar to like Jesus, that word has, has so many different meanings to it. And people yeah, have yeah. hijacked with the word in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I love your understanding of the meaning, the energy of the word, the ego. Uh, if you can explain a little bit about what kind of what you think the ego is and what you think the purpose is. Um, and this is, this is also what you're teaching in master your mind masterclass mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Which I think I, I might want to take. So. Yeah. So a lot of, lot of confusing definitions for the ego get thrown around, as you said, which was a big part of uh, the catalyst for me in wanting to get an, a true understanding of this thing. Because I just thought, obviously, this is a real thing. It's a phenomenon that can be known and studied and understood. But all of the definitions I'm hearing for it don't resonate. They don't seem right. It seems like it's coming from a place. Someone is speaking this because they heard it from someone else. It's not coming from true, deep understanding. And whenever I would read true masters like Ramana Maharshi or whoever discuss ego, they never used any of those definitions at all. And although I would have still have a hard time getting to the bottom of what their definition for ego was, all of their words resonated powerfully. And so through studying different teachers and and doing a lot of self-inquiry and self-investigation, it became really clear that ego is just the simplest thing that there really is about the mind, which is just this sort of activity always going on of claiming, identifying. I'm doing it. I'm thinking it. I did that. My thought, my story, my memory. I am this body. I am this person. Me, me, I, my, mine. That's ego. And it's like, well, that's natural though. Of course I'm me and I'm doing this and I'm thinking that. Who would question such an obvious notion? But if we start taking the analogy of the dream to understand ego, it makes a lot more sense. The idea that a dream character in a dream doesn't have the ability to act or behave outside of the dream. Mm -hmm. Everything it does is the activity of the dream or the dreamer, you might say. The the person, the character in the dream is moved by the dreamer. Everything it does, although it you you feel like you're an independent character. It feels real when you're in the dream, but upon waking, you realize it was just a storyline my mind invented and everything I thought I was doing was what was written into the script for me to do. So it's actually life's power. It is the universe's power that's moving me and doing everything. Every urge that arises, every thought, every feeling, every, every action is being dictated by this divine power that's knowing itself. So this is one of the basic teachings of non-duality is the idea of non-doership that I, although I appear to do something, I truly do nothing. Mm -hmm. The person, the character that I think I am is just an idea or a story in the mind of, I am this person named blank. I've, these things have happened to me in the past. These are the things I want. These are my fears. And it's just ideas on top of ideas on top of ideas. And when you stop identifying with the stories, you can really take a step back and see just like everyone else around you, it's just a character that you're playing. 
that's not actually real. And you can get to a place of deeply observing that character and seeing its actions and thoughts as happening outside of you, like happening of their own accord with, through the laws of karma and the laws of physics. The environment is dictating everything the person does. There truly is no such thing as an independent, separate entity in the universe. The person is the universe, right? The person is the environment. They're one. They're deeply connected. And uh, in this universe we live in, everything depends on everything else. So nothing acts independently. And every decision you make that you seem to make independently is actually deeply influenced by the flow of life. And the limited mind has no ability to see the connection of everything. It just identifies with whatever the body does and says, well, I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. So ego is just that voice that says, I'm doing that. I'm thinking that. And as you begin to question that voice and you say, well, who, who's the doer, who's the thinker, who's the chooser. And you start investigating your thoughts. You find, yeah, that's, that's actually true. I never actually discover a thinker of thoughts. Thoughts just happen. They just appear in the mind. And then after the thought appears, that voice says, that's my thought. I'm thinking that. And if you slow things down and you just investigate, get still, you realize, no, actually conditioning is thinking like past karma, all the inertia from the past actions, like a wave in the ocean is deciding what thoughts appear next based on whatever stimulus life brings to the person. Then a thought will match that stimulus. It's all just happening by some magnificent power. And I'm actually just the awareness that's watching all of it. And that's like this mind-blowing spiritual awakening that every soul will come to eventually. Many people listening have probably had that epiphany already. And you can have that epiphany and then go right back into duality again and identify with the ego again. Most people do that. But once you've truly seen it, you've sort of taken that red pill. You can never be fully convinced that I really am a separate character occupying this body and making my own decisions to preserve myself and enhance myself, that old story and narrative that you used to believe just can't convince you anymore. And the more questioning of it that goes on, it becomes like a movie you've watched. Like you've already seen the plot, you know what's gonna happen. The movie can't really grip you anymore like it used to. You don't laugh at the funny parts anymore. You get more and more desensitized to the movie the more times you watch it. And eventually you've, after you've watched it, you know, 40, 50, 70, a hundred times, like just the thought of the movie just nauseates you, right? Like uh, give me anything but that. Let me watch someone get tortured with that, you know, like anything but that stupid movie. And your ego will become like that to you. The more you question it, the more you say, really though, am I really the thinker? Did I really do that? Or did it happen by conditioning? You get so used to that that eventually it, it loses all credibility in your mind and you find yourself in this really amazing, spacious openness where you're just watching with this very like wondrous admiration at how life is just doing, life is just happening. And there's nobody doing any of it because it's all one being, one interconnected experience that everything is depending on everything else. There's no independent doer anywhere you look. And I'm certainly not an independent doer. Like it's easy to look out at the world and realize, Oh, look, everything's just happening. Clouds, moving birds, flying cars, dry. It's all just going on out there. But, but in here, there really is an independent autonomous doer making all of its own decisions. Mm -hmm. Like that's the arrogance of ego, right? So at a certain level, you see how stupid that is and how it can't possibly be true. And man, the liberation that comes with that so far in my experience just never ceases to deepen. And that's the mystery and the adventure that awaits all of us if we're just willing to question this self that we think we are. Yeah, it's, it's funny. And I, and I feel like we're constantly reminded of that. Like there's these moments like um, in Miami, we, we recently had a condo, like a piece of a condo building fall down, like mm. just in the middle of the night, all these people were lost and the rubble and all this. Oh, um, and, you know, we were, people are just so upset by this, but it's kind yeah. of that reminder to me. I was like, we're the assholes that think <laughs> that 
I don't know that like, that's not natural. Yeah. I, I hate to say, like, I know that that will like offend people, but mm-hmm. we are like these, you know, arrogant people that think that, that, that we have some control or we have some say in how it's all panning yeah. and that we claim that these moments are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. But in a way it's actually like almost like death is so natural, like, right. and, you know, and, but we have this idea that we're like keeping it together. And what I was going to say to that is like, so if the ego is, you know, what we're afraid of is to hear that we're not keeping it together. You know, we're afraid to hear that we, you know, don't have control or that we can't keep it together. So how do you find that balance between like having that understanding, but also like living your day-to-day life? Like, so you, you know, you have this work, you have a business. So, you know, how do you kind of function with the concept of the, you know, I'm, I'm here like moving into this into the, this flow, into the way things are working, but also knowing that you have to wake up every morning, you have to do these things. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that? How do you find that balance? Yeah. Well, uh, in a sense, the balance comes from annihilating all sense of trying to balance. Like you don't actually balance between the spiritual world and the world of duality. Like there's no balance actually <clears throat> you have to realize that it's not real. It's just a dream. It doesn't exist. It's impermanent. And the ego says, well, you don't want to look at the world that way because then you'll become a serial killer right. or something, right? Or you just like don't wake up anymore. You're like, oh, well, okay. Can I go back right. home? Yeah, you'll, it'll be some horrible existence. And it's like, no, actually the serial killer kills because they think the world is real. Mm-hmm. True. All evil is done because people's, the mind is taking the world to be real. The more seriously the mind takes the world, the more, the more it has to think about, the busier it has to get to sort it all out. And so the busier the mind gets, the more karma is created, which means the actions become increasingly distorted. You know, more entropy is introduced into the conditioning, the more real it's taking reality to be, because the more real it takes the world to be, and I don't, I shouldn't have said reality, I meant the world, mm-hmm. the reality, the mind's projecting, not the, not actual reality the more it takes it to be real, the more dire the consequences seem to be, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't get that thing that will bring me happiness, well, that's hell itself. So I, I've got to do whatever it takes to get it, run over anyone who's in my way. You know, these are the ways the mind thinks about the world when it takes it to be real. Mm-hmm. So actually denying the reality of the world and realizing only the perceiver, only consciousness has reality because it's the only thing in experience that doesn't change that doesn't evolve that isn't impermanent then actually what happens is it's just the funniest thing it's like almost like the world does this about face or flips inside out or something and this sort of like heavy dense separate external world that i used to exist uh, experience doesn't exist and everything just has just shines with divinity because you know it's not real, because you know it's a dream, it has a sacredness to it. It has like a, like there's a holiness to it that you feel it's all you. Like it's all one dream. And just the fact that I'm awake, the fact that I'm experiencing, the fact that I'm aware means I am it. Mm-hmm. I am awakeness itself. I am this whole thing I'm experiencing. It becomes so obvious to you only once you stop taking the world to be real. So that's why in the Hindu tradition, they'll oftentimes will say in the sutras or the Vedas that when there is a mind, there is a world because the mind projects the world objects outside of me, separate from me and so forth. And when the mind is dead, there's no more world because there's nothing outside of you anymore. Every person you meet, you're meeting yourself in another form. It's just another character in the dream. Just like when I look in the mirror, I see another character in the dream. It's all equally my infinite self. And so all you see and experience is love. It's impossible to have any resistance towards anything once you know it's not real and you know that you're actually the dreamer of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for explaining that to me. I, I went with you a few times. I was like in it with you and then I was brought back out, but I, I, it, it was <laughs> nice. like, I was nice. Like I could get there and then like, like I came out so I'm kind of still going between doors, you know? Yes. But I, I really was able to get there and I appreciate that. Do you, so um, can we study with you? How can we study that with you? Yeah. So currently I have a eight week masterclass that helps introduce people to these ideas that 
do seem a bit radical to the, you know, uh, new spiritual seeker maybe, but it, it goes in a very step-by-step fashion through it's an eight week course. And I, I don't mandate you have to do it in a week. You can take longer. You can do two weeks per module. If you want, a lot of people do. Um, I just make it so that you can't go any faster than one module per week. We do that too. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. Cause people love to binge. Right. And it's <laughs> like, no, you, you can't get this by binging it. Like <laughs> the mind is it wants concepts so bad, but it's like, this isn't a concept. Like this is a living truth that has to be embodied. So we right. take a full week and we just take one kind of core idea and we have a, a sort of a primary practice. We have a guided meditation. Um, each week has a sort of a mantra for the week mm-hmm. that you meditate on. You, you repeat it constantly. We give you a phone wallpaper background that says the mantra. Mm-hmm. For example, week one, we, we describe, we talk about what is the ego and we really break that down. And the mantra for the week is whatever appears is not me. Mm-hmm. And so you just re- meditate on that, repeat it. You see it every time you look at your phone. And by the end of the week, or if you two weeks, that idea has started to move hopefully from a concept into something you begin to experience where you stop taking appearances so seriously and you're able to just observe and watch them move naturally through your life. And you start learning and reflecting a lot more. And then we move you into module two and it kind of builds on itself. And the, the core teaching is what I call the three beliefs of ego which you could say are the three motivating factors that cause the mind to identify. Hmm. It identifies for these three reasons. And those three reasons are actually correlated to our three negative emotions. Or another way we could say that is the reason we feel sadness, anger, and fear. Those are the three negative emotions the body has. Mm-hmm are because they're actually indicating that one of those three beliefs is speaking in the mind right now. It's driving your actions right now. And so the emotional body is kind of letting you know by giving you that emotion. So we go really deep into that and helping people become aware of their ego through their emotions. And uh, it just becomes a really powerful practice that starts opening up these kinds of realizations that we're talking about. Okay. I love that. So are, is it self-studied or do I, um, or do we sign up, uh, like during a certain open and closing? Yeah, it's all, um, self-study. What's the term? There's a term for this. You take it whenever you want to Yeah, on demand. Yeah. It's not somebody said it yesterday and I was like, Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> It'll come yeah. to me once the podcast is over. Okay. Um, yeah. As soon as you sign up, you get access to module one. And then a week from that moment, module two will open up and so forth. It's like evergreen. You have it open. All the Thank time. you. Evergreen. That's it. <laughs> the marketing did it. Terms. <laughs> I, was like, I felt like we were playing charade, like marketing charades. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had the card on my forehead. Evergreen. <laughs> um, Very you, also good. Have, you also have living the course, which is about A Course in Miracles, which I have not, I have it never like gotten into it, but, um, I, I know that it's, it has influenced your work. So you also have that team, mm-hmm. right? What, did, what yeah. does it love about the course? Oh man, no. you be going all day on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We'll just leave it at that. There's, there's a lot of, you, you have a lot of content about the course. So if you're interested yeah. in why he likes it or what he, you know, what his um, understandings of the course are, you can just, you're going to have to visit the YouTube channel. So yeah, I'll just say that it, it is sort of a, in a sense, kind of like a dream text for me because it marries two things that are just so fundamental to like who I am, the Christian upbringing that I grew up with all that Christian language, which used to mean so much to me. I had to sort of throw out a lot of those terms because I just thought, ah, they're just tied to dogmas and things. But of course in miracles uses that Christian language of salvation, Holy spirit, the Christ atonement, forgiveness, the miracle. And it uses them to teach non-duality, basically. So it's a non-duality text taught through the Christian language. And the whole purpose of the text, which is also why I love it, is this is how to stop suffering and find real inner peace. And that's the whole point of the book. And it's kind of like a handbook to enlightenment that takes you step-by-step through retraining the mind to see God's reality versus the ego's reality. 
And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those texts, like the law of one, you I've read it so many times and it's always like the first time. Do you do the little, um, like assignments at the end of every, like, don't they have like a little, like, uh, like journal prompts or something? Sort of. Yeah. That's actually what my program is about. It's, um, a program I lead with, a another friend of mine named Mark Anthony Lord, and there are 365 daily lessons right. that are like mind training lessons and you do one per day. So our program is a full year long program where we go live every morning at 7 a.m. And we do the daily lesson together. We talk about what it means and how to apply it. And then on top of that, we do a master class every Thursday where we break down one of those key terms in the course, like atonement or Holy okay. Spirit. And you know, this is what it really means when it's using this, this word. And so it just helps people really get to the depth of the course beyond the language because the languages are just really pointers and the truths that they point to are just so profoundly deep that it takes a little while of learning the language before you can really start to crack the code of the book. I think that's what threw me off because I was yeah. kind of like a religious, I didn't understand the terms. I was, I was, a, I was a bit confused. It was years ago, but this, that sounds like a perfect combination to be able to study it. Cause it sounds like it's something yes. better to study with somebody who can teach you or be with you. So, yeah. It's very helpful. Oh, that sounds amazing. And is it true? Did I've heard that like they, is it Jesus? They believe it's Jesus speaking through the book. Is that correct? Yes. The, the book never says I'm Jesus and I'm writing this book, but there are certain, there are many places where the, the writer who's being channeled will say things like, this is what I meant when I said, love thy neighbor as thyself or whatever. So it's clear that this is maybe the same soul who lived in the body of the man, Jesus, not possible to completely know that, but the text does lend to that understanding that this is actually Jesus channeling this book. Yeah. And also the, like you said, the human Jesus, like that's an incarnation of that soul. So the soul can right. sound a little different because it's the, it's the, exactly. Yes. the human, the human Jesus is going to be different than its true essence. So, yeah. So it's sure. almost like Jesus wanted to really finish the message he was trying to convey to the world. Right. Sort of like Ra came to Egypt 11,000 years ago and tried to deliver the law of one. It got really distorted through right. the power structures of Egypt. So they left and then they had been looking for an opportunity to come back and sort of correct those mistakes and channel the law of one again. It's sort of like Jesus is doing that again through the, through ACIM. Like this is what Christianity should have been yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like ed editor's note. <laughs> like, <laughs> editor's note. Exactly. <laughs> I was an editor for many years. So we would basically after like my having a fuck up on an article or something, we would be like editor's notes. So that's what Jesus is trying to do. And that's what we're thinking he's doing. Last question, real quick. This used to be a dating podcast. It was, um, I, I taught spirituality through dating. Uh, we, you know, rebranded into to this work. So many women, you know, or men and women are always, I have a lot of people who, you know, like are woke, claim to be woke. And they're mm -hmm. wondering why their partners are not woke. And they would, they are always asking like, how can we wake up our partners? I have some thoughts about that, but as from another, from a male perspective, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how to ignite your, your partner. Yeah. Well, I can certainly speak on this topic from a lot of depth of experience that as most people know, you, you can't wake anybody up. You're not the doer. You're not the savior. They will wake up when they're ready to wake up. When their own soul's vibration reaches a certain level, they will start seeing the deeper truths of reality naturally. And all that we can really do for anybody, especially our partners, is that we, we have to embody the truth ourselves. We have to walk in it, demonstrate it, be that energy that hopefully can create an environment to help wake them up, sort of like a, a magnet that's drawing them to it. But if they're not, if their magnet's not awakened yet, it won't respond. So ultimately it's not in your hands and you have to, especially in romantic relationships, I think have to be hold the relationship very loosely and say, this is not, this person's not my job to save or my fulfillment in life or anything like that. I can't love this person truly if I'm clinging to them or idolizing or pedestalizing them in some way. So this is a person that the divine has brought me for a certain reason. I don't know what that reason is. If we're meant to be life partners 
or just for a season. I can't possibly know that. So my greatest act of love to them is to be in the highest truth I can be in. And if their soul is ready, then the universe will attract them to me and they will awaken. If they're not ready, they'll learn some lessons through this relationship and then they'll move on to whatever experience is next for them. You've got to hold the relationship loosely because having a savior complex will really ruin a relationship faster than most things will. It also stops your growth because a lot of people feel that like, if I keep growing, I'm going to outgrow this person. And it's, you know, it's an excuse to, to not. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. You know, it's not to connect, continue and, and use that guy as a, as a scapegoat. You know, when I really, I feel like similar to you were saying in the beginning of the interview, like, man, give people some credit. You were like little plants. You'd be surprised if you're very close to somebody and you're yeah. like, you know, you'd be surprised that if like you continue to grow, like you just don't know. So just try, just go for it. Like go into your full self. Yeah. Um, like don't, and if it doesn't pan, it's because like you said, then that's not, this is not the, the long-term partner. Or this is you right. know, just meant to go other ways. You, it's, it is a win-win I feel like, cause it's so, when I see people um, really step into themselves and their partner begins to heal, which has happened in my own relationship, it's, it's like, it's so amazing. It's just so cool to see yeah. the other person. Like it's such a gift you can, you can give the other person, you know, in many ways. So just to just like not deny yourself of that growth. Yes. So. And, and what do you really want? Right. Do you want to have someone to have to change for you to be in the relationship? Like, do you want it to be something that you're always pushing on them? Like if it's not natural and automatic, then it's not real. Right. And don't you want what's real? Like, I don't want a fake relationship where someone's just trying to be into what I'm into. So I won't break up with them or whatever. Like that's not an authentic relationship anyways. So yeah, if it's not just happening as a result of who you are, then it's not the real thing anyways. And what you want is the real thing. Exactly. So you heard it guys, not for me, <laughs> like, you know, you keep like, it's like mom keeps saying the same thing, but then they hear it from somebody else. And yeah. And then you get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much. It was such a, such a pleasure and honor. I'm, I, again, I'm very grateful to you for the work that you're doing. I can appreciate the amount of effort you put into everything that you do. And um, it truly is a gift. I, I hope you feel that gratitude from everybody so that you continue. <laughs> so thank you. We're going to uh, share all the links to your offerings. I feel like I want to, I want to do both, but I'll, I'll have to feel into it. And um, guys, also YouTube, he has just, just such great content out there. You, you can search his name on, on anywhere you listen to podcasts because he does a lot of podcast interviews. So he's constantly sharing um, himself and his wisdom. So thank you, Aaron. We love you very much over here at Soul Collective. So thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time as well. And I love the work that you're doing. Um, you have such a great energy about you. So authentic. And man, that's what we need more of. So please, please do continue as well. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys so much. If you love what you're hearing, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with a friend? That little review does so much. It's so damn helpful. You don't even know. So thank you for that. And if you're ready to unlock your spiritual gifts, enroll in my three-level program, Soul Academy, or join my free community, Soul Collective. I'd love to have you there. The links to join are below in this episode. Until next time, love you much.